about this is you get a chance to start all over, right? All you do is shake this baby a little bit and it just clears it all and you just start right back over. Wouldn't it be great if some parts of life were like that, don't you think? Let's say uh, your credit card was maxed out and you just pulled that baby out and just kind of shook it. Oh, that would be awesome, right? But life doesn't work that way, does it? The rest of life doesn't work that way either. We may dream someday of finding that winning lottery ticket blowing along in the street, but the chances of that happening are slim to nil. But it is possible to start all over with God. And that's what we want to talk about today. You see, we are all on this pilgrimage, this journey. What do we call it? We call it life. And during the time that we live here in this world, we are determining where we're going to spend eternity. And that's a pretty serious situation. High stakes involved. Somehow, though, all of us seem to mess up at one time or another, don't we? We get ourselves in trouble with other people, with God, and we desire, we wish, we hope for a chance to start all over again, just to give it a good shake and get it going again. Well, with that in mind, I want to talk to you about a scriptural term, something called the concept of jubilee. Jubilee was the blowing of the ram's horn on what was called the ancient day of atonement amongst God's people, the Hebrew people. And every 50 years, it signaled a release, a release of debt and a freeing of the slaves. It's like God just kind of shook that giant etch a sketch and everything started over. You see, the Old Testament people, they weren't any different than we are. They messed things up over and over and over again. They were great starters, but it wasn't long until they had messed things up. Uh, in that day, if an Israelite got so far into debt that they couldn't pay their creditors, they might have to sell the land that was handed down to them through their ancestors. Or worse yet, if they, that wasn't enough, they would be forced to sell themselves into slavery to pay off the debt. Sometimes they even had to sell off their family members into slavery to pay off the debt. If you couldn't pay, you lost your property and you could even lose your freedom. That was pretty dismal prospects for somebody that was in trouble. And this is where the concept, the idea of the year of Jubilee comes into place. Sort of a divine etch-a-sketch exercised by God. You see, as I mentioned to you, every half century, every 50 years, on the year of Jubilee, all of the land reverted back to its original owners, its original families. And if they weren't alive, it was given to families that came after them. All of the Israelite people who had been sold or sold themselves into slavery because of their debts were freed. Everybody, that was God's command. What a deal, huh? Now, let's think about that. God gave that law, that law of Jubilee, for a number of reasons. First, it was a way just to keep the economy of Israel from moving into the hands of a few powerful landlords. Sort of kind of like a divine antitrust law back in the day. More important to the people though, it gave those who had messed things up beyond hope a chance to start all over again. And that's what we wanna talk about today. How to start all over again. The Israelite nation that God dealt with 
under the Old Testament system is gone. The Old Testament law, including the law of Jubilee, was nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. And today, God's people that we call the church who belong to God, we serve under the terms of a new agreement, a new covenant, a new testament. There is, however, a tremendous significance of applying the concept of jubilee of the Hebrew people that goes along with our life in Jesus today. And so I wanted to share this with you. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 4. The words are going to be on the screen. I want to share with you this little passage where Luke shares some details right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And where does he go but home? to his hometown of Nazareth. And here we pick up the text, and and it says, Jesus returned in power, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And then we get to this text, and it says, Jesus came to Nazareth. That's his hometown where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Jesus went to church every week. He went to the synagogue, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to release those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus goes to his hometown and he says, I'm here, everybody. This is about me. And besides being a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, which Jesus applies to himself right there in his hometown of Nazareth, he also quotes, the the passage quotes right out of Isaiah 61, which is a passage that is about the year of Jubilee. As a matter of fact, that phrase, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, that is a direct reference to that 50th year of the year of Jubilee. A a Jew hearing that phrase, hearing Jesus speak it, they knew exactly what he was talking about. The coming of Jesus Christ then brings this same opportunity to you and to me as it did to those ancient Jews. The opportunity, the freedom to start all over. And so we want to ask that question, how does that happen? How does that work? What's involved? What do we have to understand or do And I think we can find the answers to those questions right here in this passage from Luke. And so the first thing that I want to share with you is that in order to start all over over again, we have to realize the quality of God's mercy. Realize the quality of God's mercy. This passage tells us that Jesus was anointed to preach the, what, gospel. 
That means good news. And I want you to notice in those verses that there are three phrases, three phrases that describe the reason that Jesus had a message that was good news. He said it is a release, it is a recovery of sight, and it is a setting free. Those are all great things, good news. A captive gets his freedom back. A blind man regains his sight. A downtrodden person gets out from under the heel of their oppressor. Those are good news indeed. Under the Old Testament system, that good news, of course, was all very, very literal. The land was to be released and returned. The slaves were to be set free. People could see things once again as free people. So we can see that the year of Jubilee was and still is a prime illustration of God's great mercy, of his great kindness. And so this morning, I want to ask this question to you. What about you? Do you realize, do you realize the quality of God's character as you should? Sometimes I think we're far more inclined to emphasize God's patience over his mercy. We like God's patience because we can put things off, right? Put it off, wait. There's an old story told about uh, the year 1935 and Mayor LaGuardia was the mayor of New York City. And one night, he showed up in one of the poorest wards of the city. The judge of that district in the night court had a reputation for being harsh, a jaded man with no mercy. If you went before him, you knew you were going to get the maximum sentence the law allowed. And so on this particular evening, on this occasion, Mayor LaGuardia showed up. And he dismissed that judge from the bench. And he said, I'm here to take over. And he began to hear cases, one case after another. And one case involved uh, an elderly woman who had been caught stealing bread to feed her grandchildren. Mayor LaGuardia, after the woman pled guilty to the crime, said, Ma'am, I I must punish you. Ten dollars or ten days in jail. Well, it was obvious this woman had no money. And as he spoke, he reached into his pocket and he pulled out ten dollars. And he took off his hat, and he put it in his hat. And he began to pass the hat. And he said, I fine everybody in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a city where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. And as the hat was passed around, when it was all said and done, the woman left the court with her fine paid and $47.50 in her purse. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Solely out of the goodness of his heart, the mayor of New York City helped this woman who could not help herself. He gave her the opportunity to pay her debts and to start all over again. So I ask you the question, what kind of judge do you want to stand before? That first judge, the jaded one, the harsh one, who toes the line, or one like Mayor LaGuardia, who brings together justice and mercy perfectly? More to the point, which kind of judge is God, the God of this world? As I said, sometimes we we like to focus on his patience, or other times we like to think about God as kind of the, the jaded, grouchy, vengeful God in the sky out to get us, out to punch the button to get bad stuff into our life. But friends, even when God must punish one who has knowingly rebelled against him, he takes no joy in that. 
because that's not part of his character. God would much rather pardon a sinner than condemn them. Kindness and mercy are strong parts of the nature of the God who created us. Do you know there are more than 200 verses in the scriptures that describe the merciful nature of God? In the 136th Psalm, which is written about God's goodness and mercy, the psalmist writes it 26 times. He says, his loving kindness is everlasting. Say that with me. His loving kindness is everlasting. Let's say that again. His loving kindness is everlasting. Do you believe that? That is the truth of who God is. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, it tells us that God is rich in mercy. In 1 Peter, Peter says that God has great mercy. Isn't that awesome? You know, we love receiving mercy. We sing songs about it, right? Amazing grace. We love the mercy of God. But then you know what we do so often? We turn around and we're kind of like that first judge. We want justice for the other guy. I want to see him get his just desserts. He deserves to be punished. Go get him, God. Jubilee shows us that God is more merciful than you and I. Friends, it isn't just good to know God. It is vital because God is the one who extends the mercy that can take us from this life into eternity. Jubilee is this great illustration of the magnitude of God's grace. The word used in Luke, Luke 4 in our text for release, it describes a total canceling of debt. It wasn't a partial payment so that the indentured slave could finish by working their way into freedom. It was complete, stamped, paid in full. It covered all the debt. That was God's intent. And so to the forgotten, to the insignificant, to the indebted person who had nothing to offer God, Jubilee was a statement of the great love and mercy of God. Friends, if we want an opportunity to start all over again, we must realize the vast, the powerful quality of God's mercy. It will reach you if you want it. Well, there's a second truth that I want us to understand we need to grasp in order to have the freedom to start all over again, and that is that we have to understand the recipients of God's mercy. In stressing that the quality of God's mercy, it's possible to misrepresent that, that nature by leaving the idea that it's just for anybody in any situation. Clearly, while God's mercy is available to anyone... Not everyone is willing to qualify for the mercy. You see, we have to be someone very special to qualify. Uh Uh-oh. But don't despair. Don't despair because the qualifications are surprising to some who have never understood them. The passage in Luke speaks of those three characteristics of people in whom the good news is is proclaimed. They, They were prisoners. They were blind and they were oppressed. And Jubilee was jubilant for the guy on the bottom, the person who had gotten to the place where they could not help themselves. They were in a miserable condition. They wanted out. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you really understand this. When when your child is suffering, maybe with a bad cold, you know, the runny nose, the sore throat, thick congestion, aches, pains, all she can do is just 
throw her arms around your neck and cry. That little girl doesn't have the strength in herself to fight it anymore. What, what does that evoke in you? Does it awaken pity? Doesn't it cause you to reach out to that child and, and try to relieve their distress in any way possible that you can? You see, that child's misery brings forth your mercy. You see, to be a recipient of the pardon, of the release that is the good news of Jubilee, a person must have to admit that they are powerless to save themselves. That's our job, to understand we can't do it on our own. We have to admit that for all intents and purposes that we're washed up, that we're bankrupt, we got nothing left. We have to admit that we are powerless to overcome our captor. Because, friends, if we don't know Jesus, we are enslaved. We are captives to the evil one, to Satan, who holds on to those that are downtrodden, to those that are blinded. And you see, this is a problem for some of us. Some might say, oh, what's this business? Come on, Rob, what's this business about poor, blind, downtrodden? I'm not poor. I'm doing all right. Nobody's oppressing me. Things are going pretty smoothly in my life. What are you talking about? Well, friends, what I am talking about is being poor in the things of God, the things that provide for us to reach eternity. I'm talking about being blinded to the spiritual truth that only God can provide. I'm talking about being under the control of Satan. And guess what? Some of us don't even realize it. Though many of us are too proud or too ignorant to admit it, anyone outside of God is enslaved, is blind, is downtrodden. We are slaves of Satan. We are blind to the truth. And sin rides roughshod through our life. And so, friends, to receive God's mercy, we must humbly admit we can't make it. We can't do it on our own. Let me just explain this a little bit further. How, How many sins? How many sins does it take to condemn you to hell, according to Scripture? Anybody know? How many sins? Somebody shout it out. How many? One. That's it, one. Now, how many sins do you suppose are on your record? I can guess. I can look at my own life and I can tell you there's a lot more than one. If there's at least one, at least one, we know where we're headed. So how do we get that sin off our record? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the price of sin is your life. Paul writes that in Romans. He says the wages of sin is death. That's what you get. Just how many lives do you have to pay? What do you have available to pay for your one sin? You got one life. That's it. And so when we're finished paying for that one sin, guess what? We're bankrupt. We got nothing left. We can't pay anymore. But are there any more sins? I'll just speak for myself. I know there are. So what can we do about that? The answer is nothing. Nothing. You can do nothing. You see, we've sold out to the other side. The devil owns us now. The only reason we didn't know it before is that we've been blinded. 
to the spiritual truth. So you see, we're enslaved, we're blind, we're downtrodden. But friends, that is just where the good news of Jesus applies. When we realize that, we are then in a position where we can be the recipient of God's amazing mercy. It is only those who recognize their helpless condition before God that can be recipients of God's mercy. So we realize the quality of God's mercy. We understand the recipients of God's mercy. And finally, in order to be free to start all over again, we have to accept the release. Accept the release that God has provided. You would think that the kind of mercy and grace offered by God so freely as illustrated by Jubilee would be something that everybody would be interested in taking advantage of, don't you? But sadly, it's just not the case, is it? It's not the case. Some people are too afraid to let go of their old life to accept God's offer. Some people reject the offer of God's mercy and grace because they want to hold on to something of that past that they're afraid to give up. What they don't understand or realize is how much better the new life could be if they would just open the door to it. And then there are those of us who are just, we're just a little too preoccupied to accept God's grace. God's grace and mercy is so vast and rich and deep and powerful. He sacrificed his only son on mankind's behalf while so many of us just kind of muddle through life, utterly oblivious to what he's done. We are so preoccupied, preoccupied with our life our jobs, our families, our activities, our ideas, our preferences, our politics, our turf, our rights. We are preoccupied and we fail to recognize the peril, the peril that we are in and what has been done on our behalf. And then, then there's the matter of pride. Pride keeps some people from responding to God's grace and mercy. Pride that makes us independent of God. You know, it's appealing to feel that I am the master of my own fate. I run my own life. I call the shots. I do it alone. Hey, that's the American way, isn't it? And we're proud of it. But friends, the thinking, the thinking like that, that I can do it on my own, in, in God's system, you know what that is? It's really just basic dishonesty. It's basic dishonesty. I can't do it alone. I need help from others. I can't ultimately rely on myself. I am dependent, and so are each of us, dependent on God for our very next breath. I want you to think about that just right now as you take the next breath. You understand that that is a gift from God? You are dependent on God. My goodness. And it is dishonest of me to pretend that I am anything but one man, small and weak and limited. So living independent of God in reality is self-delusion. You see, it's not just a matter of pride being, you know, a, a little trait, unfortunate, I'm a little prideful, and humility being, oh, that's a great little virtue I ought to get around to pursuing sometime. No, 
Our integrity as a person is at stake. When I am prideful, I am lying to myself about who I am. I am pretending, in essence, to be a God and not a man. My pride can become idolatrous worship of myself. And friends, the longer our pride is allowed to control, the harder it is to respond to God's gift of grace and receive his release and be free to start all over again. So let's wrap this up. The Liberty Bell is a pre-revolutionary war relic that was first hung in 1753 in the newly finished Pennsylvania State House the building that would eventually become Independence Hall. And on that famous bell are inscribed these words, proclaim liberty throughout all the land. You can see them right up there if you look carefully on that top line. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land. The inscription then attributes the words to Leviticus chapter 25 verse 10. That is the Old Testament passage that literally describes the year of Jubilee. Now, we all know about that Liberty Bell, right? It's got a big old crack in it, right? Some years after it was originally rung, got to the point where it couldn't be rung anymore, and now it just hangs there, silent, quiet, a tourist attraction to admire. I've been there. I've stood there and looked at that Liberty Bell. And it's, it's cool to think about and cool to see and cool to look at. But it doesn't make any sound. It doesn't proclaim the liberty loud like it should. The same could be said for the Old Testament jubilee. As a law of God, it's silent now. That Old Testament law in Leviticus 25, it's It's, it's silent. But the liberty that Jesus Christ proclaimed nearly 2,000 years ago is still being rung today. Every day, every hour, if you listen carefully right now, you can hear the liberty bell of the freedom of the gospel, the good news of Jesus ringing loud and clear. And it is inviting every man, every woman, every child to come to God and to be set free. And so this morning, I want to ask this. Could it be calling you? Now, I don't know everything that's going on in your life, but I can guarantee you this. There are people in this room right now that are in bondage. Bondage. Some of that bondage is self-imposed. Some of us have made choices and decisions in our past that weigh us down, that pull us backward. Some of that bondage Let's just be honest. Some of that bondage is caused by other people. Evil, mean, and nasty people in this world who do terrible things to other people. And some of us have the scars of the bondage holding on to us. The pain, the hurt. And so we understand bondage. What we must understand also is that Jesus wants us to be free to be broken free. Now for many of us, we have received God's wonderful, merciful grace. We can look to a point in time in our life where we came to understand, I need Jesus. And we, we've been obedient. We've called him Lord. 
We've been baptized, buried in the watery grave and raised to walk in newness of life. But you know what? Some of us have also allowed an old way of life to creep back in. Or we've become preoccupied with the stuff of life. And God has perhaps taken a back seat for a time. I want you to know that today can be your day of jubilee as well. You can accept the release and the freedom that only God can provide. Maybe you're here today and you have never received God's gift of mercy and grace. His release from bondage. If you want to respond today, you can. Today can be your day of jubilee. You can have it shaken, free, clear screen, that credit card back to zero. God wants you to have a fresh start. He wants you to begin all over again. And he is a God who is an expert at bringing that about. Today can be your day of jubilee. Don't allow a comfortable way of life or pride or preoccupation with things in this world to keep you from fully realizing his gift today. I want you to pray with me. Father God, Father God, we are so thankful, Lord, for your amazing mercy and grace. God, you are so good And Father, we look into our hearts and we can see our failings and our disappointments and our hurts. And Father, they are numerous. But Father, we are so thankful that you have provided a way for us to pursue a life of freedom, of wholeness, of goodness, of hope, and of mercy because of Jesus. And so Father, we thank you the peace and joy that comes from knowing Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray and all God's people say, amen, amen. 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 Well, I want you to know that in just a, a few moments,